0: Welcome to 2X e-commerce, the e-commerce marketing growth podcast where you ask questions and I, Kenei, answers them. Also hear from proven marketing growth experts who are number one or number two in specialist areas of online retail marketing. So if you work in or own an online retail business, listen in, get involved, join me, and let's put some fuel to skyrocket your e-commerce growth. Go inbound marketing strategies as you beat Amazon. Natural search and our search engine position is critical to the customer flow through the website. I personally would not have account process. Interrupt checkout flow it all. My favorite customer lifetime value calculation is an easy one. It's your
1: average order value times that purchase frequency times uh, your customer lifespan.
0: I'm Kune Campbell. L- let's get rolling. Hi, 2Xs. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kune Campbell. And as you know, this is the e-commerce podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. Um, not necessarily at the enterprise level or even, you know, micro retail. This is, you know, a show for scaling for ambitious online retailers who want to 2X, 3X, or even 10X their businesses. I pick the guests who come onto the show to share their expertise and experience. And my criteria is based on one thing, you know, can my guest actually provide you guys insights, insights, I need insights um, to, to help you rapidly grow. So if um, you want to grow metric, such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, traffic and ultimately sales, you're in the right place. Going to roll into the sponsor um, shortly and then I'll catch you, you know, um, right back. This episode is brought to you by Klaviyo. It is a game changing email automation tool specifically built for scaling e-commerce businesses. I'm not just saying it. I use Klaviyo in my e-commerce store and stores are advice for. Household names in the e-commerce space such as Brooklyn in, Bonobos and Chobis use Klaviyo. Here's what Why? Clavio has one of the most impressive feature sets in the e commerce email personalization space at the moment. Besides the one-click setup, Klaviyo's pixel tracks visitor behavior to help you set up highly effective custom email funnels. Klaviyo also offers pre-built autoresponders for cart abandonment, upsells, and win-back campaigns. Klaviyo's most game-changing feature is its Facebook audiences integration, which helps your email list to sync up with your Facebook ad campaigns. So as you continue to scale up your store, Klaviyo will help automate a lot more sales. Try Klaviyo today on klaviyo.com, spelled K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. With retail moving online, finding a good domain name has become ever so important. But the challenge is that most decent.com addresses are either difficult to acquire or unavailable. The good news is that retailers now have a powerful alternative with the .store domain name. The .store domain name will be short, relevant, and directly associate your site with e-commerce and retail. Search engines give .store domains the equal attention and importance as .com TLDs. .store domains have already been adapted by top brands such as Emirates, so if you check out Emirates.store, you get to a store there, Jimi Hendrix, so jimmyHendrix.store, and F1, Formula 1, F1.store. If you want a short and snappy domain name for your retail brand or your online Store, you can now get a dot store domain for just four ninety nine pounds, which is about six ninety nine dollars, using the coupon code two X store that's two X S T O R E on get dot store. Just go to get dot store in your search engines and use two X store. Right, guys, I'd like to welcome to the show. Thomas Smell. He's the founder of FE International. And the reason I brought him is a chunk of you guys, you know, a lot of you guys are building up e-commerce businesses to sell. You're building up physical product businesses, whether it's in the Amazon FBA space, whether it's um, uh, an e-commerce website, um, whether it's, uh, you know, um, a wholesale business that, you know, resides in the internet, you're building this businesses to eventually retire, whether you're going to retire 40, 30, you know, whatever age you have in mind, um, you. Most of you ultimately want to exit and FE is a national is a business. I have, um, had a relationship with for, for a few years. I've, I've spoken with the founders and I just thought, you know what? Um, we're at the start of 2018. Um, let's get some focus. Let's, you know, fine tune how we're going to sort of, um, you know, act for the rest of the year by, um, focusing on how we're going to build our businesses to, to, to maximize our asset value. So I'll tell you a little bit about. Thomas and, um, and about FE international, um, or I think it'd be best to, you know, m- to, to bring, you know, Thomas and welcome Thomas, sorry for the long winded, you know, intro, but welcome to the yeah, show.
1: Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. appreciate it.
0: You're, you're, you're very welcome. Um, could you take a minute to, to, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about you and then FE international, you guys were founded in 2010. Is that, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, we started out in 2010. The, the business back then was, buying, selling, web-based businesses. Okay. Uh, and then we, over the years, we transitioned into more an advisory firm. So since 2012, okay. our, our main business is helping people sell their companies. And okay. we also work with people who want to buy and publish a lot of content, teaching people how to do either of those things as well.
0: Cool. So so how did, what was the evolution from, you know, what you previously did to to, to FE International? And, um, you know, how did you get into to, to measuring acquisitions of SaaS, e-commerce, and, you know, if affiliate slash content, you know, type businesses?
1: Yeah. So when when starting out, this is back in probably more like 2009, 2010, uh, buying websites for myself and then reselling them. Um, and then after a while of doing that, I was at college at the time, just okay. making making some extra cash on the side.
0: Not bad. Um, <laughs> Not a bad side. So
1: job. <laughs> Yeah, just turning it into just making like a a small income stream out of it. And then I started publishing content, teaching people how to do what I was doing. Wrote a book about it back in 2010, which did really well. um, Took off, a bunch of people bought it, got a bunch of good feedback. Um, From that, I I, I thought at the time, incorrectly, that people would be interested in learning and doing it themselves. Mm. Um, But actually, it turned out that people were more interested in having us do it for them. So, got went from doing it for myself to working with people and helping them sell their companies. So, that's really when we transitioned into more of an advisory firm. That was back around 2011 and then 2012 onwards. We've pretty much just been focused on the advisory side of the business.
0: Fascinating. Very, very, very good stuff. So, you guys at the moment, you're, you're, you're mid market. Uh, business. Mm-hmm. Could you describe what a mid market is in terms of like the, the average deal size, you know, you, 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 you normally take care
1: of? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different ways people describe firms. So we'd probably be, depending who you ask, it'd be like small cap, micro cap, or, or mid market. It really depends okay. who you ask, who's looking at it. In general, our, our deal ranges are anywhere from $50,000 up to $20 million. Okay. Um, and then our average deal is somewhere in the middle of that, It's around five hundred thousand dollars at the moment for five, our average.
0: Five hundred k, okay. And according to your LinkedIn profile of FE International, you guys have done about seventy five million dollars worth of sales, you know, across like four hundred plus um, acquisitions since twenty ten. Is, is that accurate, or has that changed quite significantly?
1: Yeah, I think that probably needs a, a twenty eighteen update. But we're now uh, into the hundreds of millions. Well, um, so that, yeah, that's probably a little bit out of date now, but yeah, we're in the hundreds of millions range. Um, we've been growing pretty significantly. So last 12 months we've pretty much doubled, doubled our team size. Okay. Uh, interesting doubled our deal value. So lots of metrics going in the right direction.
0: Interesting. From your accent, you're a Londoner. Um, what are you doing in, in Boston? Cause, um, I know you're tuning in from Boston.
1: <laughs> I, I am indeed. Um, so yeah, we, we started the company out of London. So my, my business partner as well is from London as well. Okay. Um, we ran the business from London for many years, but mm. we always had a primarily, or at least there's a lot of focus in the US. So we found we were running the company, um, but dealing with US clients. We were flying over here every mm. week or every other week uh, to meet people or meet clients or go to conferences or speak at conferences. Okay. Um, so we launched a, a head office out here in 2015. Okay. Um, and at the moment we have about 15 people. In, in our Boston office, 15, um, st- 15,
0: 15. Wow. Okay. okay. Yeah.
1: And then we still have our London office and we okay. also have an office in Saigon, Vietnam. In Saigon. So okay. our current team is just over 35 people. Um, but a big focus for us recently has been hiring. So if okay. we had the same conversation about a month ago, we would have been less than 30. So wow. okay. um, hiring has been a big, big focus recently. Okay. So yeah, n- now in Boston, uh, well, semi permanently. Okay. Um, and it, it just means we can access our
0: your, market, your our clients more, your more clients, easily. Exactly. Okay. So, so yeah. I'd say, so, so just to get some context, um, business, well, the businesses are for sale all over the world pretty much, but, um, p- the people who are buying them, your clients are predominantly based in the U S.
1: Yeah. So U S and Canada would in Canada, be okay. the majority of buyers. I mean, there are obviously buyers elsewhere in the world. Okay. You, you tend to find, we found with the U S particularly, It's a very entrepreneurial culture. Mm. It's obviously like a very large country as well. Mm. Uh, I'm very wealthy. Mm. So lots of people are interested in the idea of like running their own business. And that doesn't necessarily mean starting one. it can mean. Buying one Bind as Buying
0: well. one, exactly, because it's quite reflective of, you know, if you're running an e-commerce business and, um, you are shipping globally, you know, um, the obvious markets to, to target right off the back of, you know, your, your, you know, your, your targeting is, is the US, you know, and Canada. They, they will, you know, account for a chunk of, you know, sales. It's, it's natural. It's quite interesting. It's, it's the same, you know, um, when you're buying and selling businesses. So yeah, cool. Right. Let's jump into the meat of this. Um, So for listeners who are running e-commerce businesses now, or who want to build e-commerce businesses um, for an exit, how do you start... Okay, first of all, how do you build, you know, a business? What kind of of things do you need to look at, take, you know, bear in mind when you're building out an e-commerce business, you know, for an exit, for an eventual exit?
1: Yes, I mean, I think the very... Because I get asked this question a lot. I think the very most important thing when you start out is just worry about making some money and getting getting sales coming in the door. Your business is never going to be sellable or it's highly unlikely to be sellable mm-hmm. if you're not making money. Mm-hmm. So that should be your number one focus before you think about anything else. Um, from there, once you start getting some traction, mm-hmm. um, it's important to start thinking about the type of products you're selling. So what a lot of people do when they start out is they focus on products that might be Trending massively, mm. so last year lots of people launched business around fidget spinners, mm. and people would buy ten thousand of them because they were they were super popular. But then three months later, that that industry or product was no longer popular. Mm. Um, so a lot of people made the mistake of chasing the trends. Mm. I always encourage people to try focus on a particular vertical because then that way, if you were selling fidget spinners, you could still sell them on your store, but you'd be able to sell other products afterwards and you wouldn't be, comp- you wouldn't launch a business called like fidget com. You'd launch, launch a product, which is like fun com, Exactly. Like that. And then you can have lots of different products. And as things get trendy or you ride the wave, trendy, it, ex- exactly. So that's definitely something to think about. It doesn't mean you have to build your business around just like one product that's going to sell forever. And people are always going to buy, like for example, a pen, um, But you should always think about the fact that while it might be making money now, if conceivably it's not going to be making money in, say, one, two, five years' time, then from a buyer perspective, it's not going to be interesting. It may well be a great way to make a living, and you could have made a bunch of money selling fidget spinners, but no one's going to want to buy that business because they know it's going to die.
0: Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, with with that in mind, um, when you say make money, do are you talking about making revenue or making profit?
1: So, when starting out, mm-hmm. my focus for people, or what I encourage people to do, is just focus on, figure, sorry, figure on making revenue. Once you're making some revenue, you can then worry about the profitability. But starting out, you're gonna you're gonna lose some money. You're gonna have to test things that don't work, mm-hmm. and then some things will work. So, don't worry about profitability right away. Um, everyone understands everyone looking at buying a business that in your first few months or maybe even first few years, you're probably not going to be making a profit. Uh, and that's, that's fine in, in a buyer's eyes. There are obviously some additional considerations. So if you're funding your business yourself, um, mm. and maybe you have a full-time job and you're doing it on the side, then you probably don't have a huge amount of money to invest. Yep. So profitability should be a focus. Okay. Um, but from a buyer perspective, it's not necessarily essential from the start. I, I just think of traction in terms of things like building out your brand, building out your following, building out your email list, mm-hmm. social following, whatever you might exactly. be doing to okay. to get get customers in the door.
0: Okay, we're going to jump into those those bits. Um, so so essentially, so have you been involved in deals um, that? the company for sale was not necessarily in profit, but they were doing massive numbers from a revenue standpoint.
1: So, yeah. So when it comes to the actual sale, mm-hmm. it's uncommon for businesses to be sold if they're not profitable, Okay, um, unless there's other reasons why they're not profitable. For example, if you have a company and you have, let's say you have a, a, a million dollar loan Mm. And you're paying huge interest payments every month. Mm. And if you remove those interest payments, um, the business will be profitable. Okay. Then the assets would be very sellable. The company itself would probably not. But generally, almost all deals you see below 10 or $20 million are asset sales. Mm. So you don't actually sell the underlying entity. So if you have debt and you've been paying down debt, it doesn't actually affect the sale a huge amount do
0: they clear out the debt for you or do you is that something you have to take care of before you hand over the keys to the business of the business
1: yeah so from a debt perspective because they're not physically taking over the entity it generally does not matter but that says sometimes buyers might be a little bit concerned if you have debt and as part of the deal they might make it a contingency that you have to pay off any debt related to the business, because sometimes when you take out loans and debt, it might be tied to something in the company. So, for yeah. example, there might be like a guarantee and that might be tied to the the stock. So, yeah. if, if they stop paying the loan, then you could lose the stock.
0: It could so, be, be reclaimed. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. And let's talk about these assets, you know. Um, what kind of assets just, you know, um, just actually give you, well, just raise your interest. You know, when you see a deal, um, I present an e-commerce business to you and, um, you just look at these assets. So I'm talking like email list, um, you know, um, customer list, um, you know, um, profits so of what kind of assets do you, do you want to see, you know, as a, as a broker?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's not really a set rule of things you okay. should and shouldn't have. I would say general best practice is you want something or anything that has the ability to bring in clients over and over again. So traditionally, that would be an email list. Mm -hmm. Um, But more and more people now are moving into things like building a social following. So it might be you have a a big following on Instagram. Um, And that's fine. I would say in general, buyers, or from our perspective, we want to see something that you control. Mm -hmm. So an email list where you, well, not necessarily technically own, but you have all those emails is more protectable long-term than a a social following because Mm -hmm. if you're building on someone else's platform whether that's facebook instagram lots of these businesses can do very well for a while but you just don't have control so it could be one change from instagram one change from facebook and you no longer have a sustainable source of sales whereas Mm -hmm. an email list might be a little bit more boring to build up Mm -hmm. people don't necessarily see it uh, but it can be an extremely powerful tool so email list is extremely important an email list
0: aspect. okay okay so and, and then would you look at traffic would you look at conversion rates would you would you look at um you know um at, well stock um what what are the you know um asset what, what are the asset what other points data points are you you know factoring into um valuation of of, of an e-commerce asset
1: yeah. See, so from a valuation perspective, mm-hmm. we look at over a hundred variables. So there's lots wow. of different things that, lots of different things that tie into it. Okay. Um, so traffic is important. It doesn't necessarily affect valuation because mm-hmm. if you have, for example, a thousand visits per month and you're making a million dollars, that business is not worth any less than a business that has a hundred thousand visits making the same money. Mm-hmm. So the the traffic alone does not necessarily affect the value. The source of that traffic may do. So if you have a business, um, where all of your traffic is from running Facebook ads, or the majority of your traffic is running Facebook ads, that is not going to be worth as much as a business where say half of your traffic is from, um, organic SEO. Mm -hmm. A quarter of your traffic is from guest posts and podcasts you've been on. Mm. Um, and then another quarter is from your, your email list. Mm. So, from that perspective, it doesn't necessarily affect the value at a high level. But yeah. Once you dig into it, it can affect things. Yeah. Um, stock is important. Stock's always sold separately from the, the deal itself. So okay. always included as part of the deal, but the value of it is always separate. The mm-hmm. key with stock is making sure to find balance between not having too much. Mm-hmm. So if you have a business doing $100,000 a year in sales, mm-hmm. you should probably not be sat on half a million dollars mm-hmm. of wholesale value of, of stock, but you also should probably not be set on $500 worth of stock. Mm-hmm. So there's a balance between not having too much and not selling out. Mm-hmm. I quite often see businesses that struggle because they've not predicted their sales properly. Mm-hmm. And they may be done, I guess this is a good thing, but they've sold more than they expected and then mm-hmm. they run out of stock. And then that can often take months to recover, particularly if you're sourcing your products from somewhere like China, mm. you can't get you can't get that product in a couple of days. No. So they're the kind of things to consider in that respect.
0: That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. What, what's the difference? So I've heard of a website called Flipper. Um, uh-huh. you know, I've been there a number of times. Actually, almost bought a site from from Flipper in the past. What's the difference between going to Flipper or marketplace uh, versus using a broker like yourselves, an eminence M&M so- firm?
1: so is that from a buyer perspective from a
0: buyer buyer and a seller perspective so if uh, from from a buyer perspective sorry from a buyer perspective let's start out with that
1: yeah so from a buyer perspective i mean i guess the two main differences is if you buy from a marketplace Mm -hmm. you are buying directly from the seller and the the marketplace itself bar the information they collect they do not verify anything Mm -hmm. and effectively they cannot verify anything So you have to take everything at face value and what you often find with marketplaces like Flipper, and I guess marketplaces in any industry, there's often a lot of kind of dishonest people who might misrepresent their business. Mm. Um, And there's a lot of smart people as well. Well, smart people who are dishonest Mm -hmm. and have the ability to hide things, misrepresent things that might be faking sales Mm. in various ways you can make it look like your business is making sales but in reality that's kind of all the same credit card and just one person making all hmm. of those transactions so there's lots of things that sellers do in that respect if you go to a, a broker from a buyer perspective the main difference there is that the broker or advisor or m firm is controlling the process hmm. so the better firms you deal with will 95 percent of your interaction will be with the the broker themselves mm-hmm. and it's only once you get further into the process and you've learned about the business and you're interested, mm. would you speak to the the seller directly? Yeah. So it's a more consistent experience going to yeah. Yeah. an M&A firm and, yeah. and the better ones will be selling legitimate businesses all of the time. Okay. Obviously that doesn't necessarily mean you'll like the business, but there's a difference between legitimacy and, and likability. Yeah. We sell a lot of businesses you might look at and be like, it's a terrible business. I don't like it. But for someone else, they're like, wow, this is amazing. This is just what I wanted. Um, But what, what we try and avoid as a firm is selling a business where it's like, well, this is a scam. These sales are not correct, Mm -hmm. which is what the the issues you run into on a marketplace. So from a buyer perspective, the the main difference is just due diligence, what the information you're going to get. And also the expectations. You'd be pretty confident if you're working with a a M&A firm that, Mm -hmm the expectations of the seller are going to be quite reasonable. Yes. If you go on to marketplace, someone could be asking for a million dollars for their business is actually only worth a hundred thousand. Go to an M&A firm. Yes, you will probably think that the business is priced quite high, but that does not necessarily mean it's, un- it's unrealistic. Mm. Um, so, that's consideration well, from that side.
0: Yeah. What, what I'm picking up is there's a lot more due diligence with, with a firm, you know, versus a marketplace that's, you know, open to, to cowboys.
1: Well, precisely. So, yeah, yeah, for perspective, when we, before we list a business, we put together a. So we, I mean, we do various phone calls with the, mm. the seller. We often meet them in person. Mm. Um, we then put together about a 20 to 30 page prospectus about the business. And throughout that process, we're conducting due diligence whether that's related to financials or operations or legal due diligence and then before we list the business as well we also collect various due diligence information to make sure that what they're claiming is is accurate Mm -hmm. obviously we still say to people you should do your own due diligence but from a company perspective we want to make sure that any businesses we list are legitimate to the best of our of
0: knowledge okay that makes makes a lot of sense you know you mentioned earlier um the fact that you know a business with more diversified you know um traffic sources and revenue you know sources actually um versus one that you know um it was just getting traffic and um revenue from say facebook um, would be a lot more valuable than um the the, the latter um would you suggest, you know, when people are building out businesses, to focus on one traffic source, and then, you know, once they've gained stability and um, traction on the, just that one traffic source, they they start to expand into other traffic sources to, you know, prime the, themselves up for for sale.
1: Yeah, I definitely think f- so. Focus is definitely important when you're starting out. The question from there really becomes a matter of resource. Mm. So, how much resource do you have? If you if it's just you working by yourself and you have a limited budget, mm-hmm. then it's probably only realistic for you to focus on one or two um, sources. Mm-hmm. So that's the consideration. And then also, what are you good at? What do you like? Some, like I mentioned earlier, some businesses and some products suit themselves really well to a platform like Instagram. Mm-hmm. So if Instagram is where your customers are hanging out, then that's where you should be advertising and building your, okay. your presence. Okay. Um, so a lot of it is like what are you good at where are your customers hanging out, and the, the rest of consideration is really just resource yeah. don't don't try and master five different traffic sources simultaneously if it's just you working by yourself with no budget okay you're just setting yourself up to fail
0: okay okay makes sense um I have a question with regards again to, to asset value and um, the impact of like process documentation not as a reactive you know um set of actions but as a proactive so I'm a seller you know I have an e-commerce business and I say you know Thomas um or F international um I want to sell um how you know these these are all my assets and these are my processes you know for doing all this kind of stuff um does that you know give you know me more value as compared to you know businesses that do not have a process or do you even um make sure they have a process um you know um, like process documentation before they they hand over to to buyers?
1: Yes, that's a really good question. So processes in general. So I mean, there's two things with processes. Having processes generally means your business is going to be more valuable in the first place. Because mm-hmm. businesses with good processes generally run better, generally make more revenue, and they make more profit. So in that respect, the fact you have processes and systems is probably already baked into the revenue you're making. From a buyer perspective, doesn't necessarily increase the value, but it definitely increases the desirability Mm. and decreases the amount of time as a seller that you'll need to spend training a buyer. So if I buy your business and you send me a manual to run it and I can follow it and run the business, then I'm probably not going to need a huge amount of your time to Mm. train me how to run the business. But if you don't have anything written down, then you're going to be spending all of your time teaching me how to do it. So, So generally on a deal say an average million dollar deal, you might expect 30 days of training. And if you're well documented, 30 days is gonna be absolutely plenty. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have nothing written down and your business is quite complex, then it might take more like 90 to 180 days. So there are some considerations on that front. It's more the sellability of the the business. Mm -hmm. A buyer wants to take over a business that has good systems and processes in place. But also the length of time it's going to take for them to train you.
0: Okay, that makes sense. What about staff? Um, how do you how do you handle staff um, over a, a sale of a business?
1: So the, the general rule of thumb would be if you have a team and if yeah. you have staff, then they need to stay with the business. And buyers always want to keep keep the team. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have misconceptions for this because I think they're a, kind of romanticised the world of private equity similar industries where people buy companies and the next day they fire everybody but it, in the world of small businesses that doesn't really happen very often or buyers want to take over the team you have so that would be definitely detrimental to value if the team aren't staying for whatever reason mm-hmm. so you always need to make sure that they're hanging around um, and the only other real consideration from there is how are the contracts structured mm-hmm. um, it's becoming more and more common for Companies to be very international, much like we are, but also having a team that are remote. So that means they're they're most likely going to be independent contractors or or freelancers, Mm. and they're much easier to transfer to a a buyer Mm. who will most likely not be in the same country that you are. Yeah, um, as opposed to an employee.
0: That's an advantage. If you have an
1: employee, yes. So Mm. I'd say being a contractor is an advantage in that respect. Mm. Um, There are ways ways around it. And, and, and there's, there, consideration.
0: there's less uh, emotional baggage, you know, when you, you know, when you work remotely, you know what you're meant to do and you, you do it and you have your time, you know, so unlike if you're in an office, <laughs> yeah, anyway, there's a well, lot exactly. to, to yeah. deal
1: yeah. With. In an office, you have to see your boss Trusting. every day or you have to see the company owner every day. Which is and
0: human, it's, you know, it's, it's yeah, a human exactly. thing to it, feel. Yeah, <laughs>
1: So it's definitely a consideration.
0: Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. Let's talk about multipliers. Um, or Is it multipliers? Multipliers. Yeah. Industry multipliers. So in, in online retail, what kind of multipliers would you expect um, to, for for valuation? Um, you, could you shed some more light in it for, for business sales? Yes.
1: Yeah, so just to give you an idea of averages. Mm-hmm. Um, and bear in mind, this is a multiple on net profit. Okay. And usually net profit for the last 12 months of the business. Okay. Sometimes you might look at other periods, but 12 months is usually the most reflective. Multiples going to be anywhere in the two to four times range okay. on average. Um, but they can really vary across that spectrum. Uh, they rarely go higher than that, and they rarely go lower than that. Um, but like I said, we look at over 100 variables. So there's, there's no kind of standard rule of thumb you can use. There's lots of different things that go into it
0: okay okay so if I was to sell my business for um, for five million then I should have had net profits of um, a third of that at the very minimum um, or it's, you know, half of that at the very minimum so I yeah. say so if I made 2.5 million in profits is, is that right or
1: yeah that'd be about right I'd say as businesses get bigger so particularly into that like seven or mid seven to high seven figure range yeah multiples do start to go up Okay. and buyers do start to look at slightly different variables as well, okay. so your profitability is still important um, but not as important as it might be for a business that's only worth say five hundred thousand instead of five million okay. um, but as a rule of thumb your're your math is correct in that respect.
0: Okay. So if I wanted to sell for, for like a, a million dollars in you know, um, if I wanted an exit of a million dollars, then I should be looking at, um, two fifty, you know, minimum or, um, even 300 K in, in net profits, not even gross net profits. Is, is that right? Yes, ex-
1: okay. exactly. That's correct.
0: Right. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. And then within e-commerce, you know, verticals, fashion e-commerce, there's, um, um, the, the publishing sites, you know, there's, um, the, the, the homeware sites, you know, kitchenware, there's, you know, furniture sites, all sorts of sites, all sorts of verticals within e-commerce. Um, are there any special multiples or do, to, do these multiples just apply right across, you know, online retail?
1: Yeah, that would be our, our averages we see. Okay. But they're not going to vary a huge amount industry to industry. Okay. Uh, assuming we're, we're ticking all of the boxes that we spoke about earlier, okay. which are things like, the kind of products you're selling. If you're just selling one product and that product's a fidget spinner, then Mm. that business is not going to be worth as much as someone who has, say, 200 SKUs Mm. and they're evergreen. So let's say you have, going back to my pen example, you have red pens, blue pens, green pens. Yes, it, it might seem very boring, but it's pretty conceivable that in five years' time, you're Still going to be selling pens, yeah. True. So, that's a from a buy perspective, that's a more stable bet,
0: okay. Okay, makes sense. Okay, um, then, um, what are your thoughts on or from the deals, you from your deal flow, you know, deals coming through, um, fully catalog businesses versus you know, businesses that are selling distinct, you know, few products, you know, um, like um, luxury watches, for instance, um, and they've extended to maybe bags, um, so how. Which which has been which is better for um or which adds more value um from a from a buyer perspective?
1: I think from a buyer perspective it it, it really varies. Mm-hmm. I mean you definitely wanna have multiple products. Mm-hmm. Having a business that's reliant on just one is not necessarily a sensible idea. But if you're focused on just one thing, so for example, just watches, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to have Lots and lots of different types of products. I'd say being focused in one particular space is important. Just having ten thousand different products on your site for the sake of having ten thousand is not worthwhile. But mm-hmm. if you're selling watches and you have ten thousand different types of watches, mm-hmm. then that probably is is worth it okay. so the consideration should really be how many products are there okay. um and then how consistently they're they're selling. And then from a buyer perspective, they're also going to be interested in the uniqueness. Mm-hmm. So if you're drop shipping and you've just taken the generic catalog from the suppliers, then. That's not going to be as valuable as a business where you've found a unique supply for certain products.
0: Got it. Got it. So the more unique it is, you know, the, the the better. Okay. Um. Just to wrap up before we get into our lightning round, um, or evergreen question round, um, I just wanted to ask about like for our listeners who are you know priming up for twenty eighteen. Um, what are the most most lucrative verticals? You know, um, you're, you're right now and over the next three to five years, from your perspective.
1: That's a really good question. Everyone asks me this question all the time. It's always difficult to say. Honestly, my answer is usually the boring answer, which is focus on something that is going to continue to sell and continue to be popular. So I generally completely avoid new trends, Mm -hmm. just because generally a new trend, you have no idea, and neither does a buyer, which is the key. No idea how long that product's going to stay popular. So, I mean, there's lots of industries that have changed massively. So you go back, people used to be selling Blu-rays, and everyone thought that was going to be the... The, the popular thing and then a few years later that changes mm-hmm. and that's massive companies that are making a bet and getting it wrong yeah. so if a big are getting it wrong what hope does a, a like a, a one-man band or a, like a, a small company have gotcha. um, unless you're just getting lucky so i always encourage people to focus on um it's like relatively boring products that are always can be around and then trying to figure out a, a unique angle for for selling it yeah. look at something like a a Dollar Shave Club, for example, mm. sold for a, a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, and all they were they were not selling anything new or unique. They just had a unique marketing angle. Yeah, and a unique business model, or relatively unique business model, which was a subscription.
0: Are you selling subscription sites?
1: So subscription box businesses are really yeah. popular. Um, mm. We've done a couple recently, and we have a couple listed at the moment. Uh, they're always popular with buyers. Uh, the advantage of subscription box versus a regular e-commerce store is the recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. So from a, a buy perspective...
0: It's like a SaaS it, business, isn't
1: it? it exactly. it's so it's kind of a combination between a SaaS and e-commerce in terms of the variables that come into it. So, yeah, they're always popular.
0: So sure, the multiplier um, slightly higher.
1: Sure. Yeah, slightly higher. Um, if you can build in recurring revenue to your business in in any way well and that applies to any business regardless of your industry whether it's online offline um from a buyer perspective that's always going to be a good thing
0: okay okay that makes sense thomas thank you so 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 very much these are like you know huge huge insights and you know i'm sure my, my, you know the guests are going to come asking for for loads of questions you know in the comments area. Um, of the blog post when, when it's published. But before I let you go, um, I normally ask my guests about three or four, you know, evergreen questions called lightning round. Um, I'm ready when you are.
1: Cool. Um, I'm good to go.
0: Um, so just, if you can answer each question with one sentence, I'll be perfecto. Okay. So how do you hire people?
1: Uh, we use a platform called angel.co. Okay.
0: All right. Got it. What are your three indispensable tools for managing FE International? <laughs>
1: So, yeah, three tools we probably couldn't do without on a day-to-day basis. So a product called Todoist, okay. um, Trello, yeah. and Slack.
0: And Slack, okay. Yeah, I know all of them. Good stuff. What's been your best mistake to date by that time in a setback that's giving you the biggest feedback?
1: So I'd say probably the best mistake we've made is being a bit too slow to hire people. So we've always been very conservative mm-hmm. when we've hired people. So we've always made sure we've had the money and the profit there. Um, before hiring people. So it does slow growth, but it it means that growth is very sustainable, Sustainable. very predictable, Mm -hmm. and you stay profitable throughout, which is important if you don't have any outside outside funding.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. What one piece of advice can you give to retailers, you know, keen on 2X or even 10X in their their, their sales for sale, for eventual sale? So I think
1: the most important thing to do is focus on building an email list. um, And then actually regularly emailing those users, whether that's setting up abandoned cart emails. Mm-hmm. So we use a product called GrooveJar, Groove um, which mm-hmm. is a good way of collecting emails, sending out emails, um, and making sure you're kind of optimizing all different parts of the funnel.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. If you could choose a single book or resource that online retailers keen to exit should read, which, which would it be?
1: Uh, so there's, a, there's a book out there called built to sell
0: um, yeah, and it's
1: it. it's basically a hypothetical story of how to turn a business that's not sellable into a business that is sellable mm-hmm. um and i guess an a, an additional slightly shameless plug but we have various ebooks okay. that we give away for free you can find on our on our website, that if you want to learn some specifics about building up the value of an e-commerce business and w- what makes it sellable, then they're worth a read as well.
0: I'll definitely link to it um, from the show notes to the to the to the section of your website. Okay, so um, for our listeners keen on connecting with FE International, people who are keen on you know um, deals, um, how best can they reach you? Yeah, so
1: I mean, we're in lots of different places, so it depends what what medium you like, but you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter. I would recommend visiting our site and signing up to our email list. Mm -hmm. Um, We send out regular emails, whether you're looking to buy, whether you're looking to sell, or whether you just want to learn a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so that would be my suggestion. Just yeah. check us
0: out. Yeah. Guys, I'm, I'm on the list and I get, um, you know, um, deal, you know, deal summaries every Friday, I think, or Monday. Yeah. Friday. Fridays, Fridays. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do. Okay. Um, many, many, many thanks Thomas, for making it to the show and sharing insights on how to build businesses to sell. Um, I, there's been a lot, I'm going to listen to this again. I've taken a lot, lots of, lots of notes. Um, and yeah, many, many thanks.
1: Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks very much. And um, I hope that was all helpful for everyone.
0: Okay. All right, cheers. So that was a wrap on this week's episode of 2X e-commerce. Remember, you can catch me every week